Amen. Thank you, worship team. Uh, good morning, everyone in the room here. So good to see you all. Uh, so many faces that I have not seen in uh, many months. And what a wonderful little reunion uh, every Sunday has become now during this uh, particular moment we are in in our history. So welcome to you in the room here. I want to welcome you as well, watching online, whether you're watching on Facebook, watching on YouTube, watching on newlife.nyc. Uh, it's a joy to worship with you as well. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church here in Queens, New York City. And we are in a series of teachings on the theme, God, politics, and the church. Woo-hoo, God, politics, and the church. There, there's certain people who say, why are we talking about this stuff here? Why we, we shouldn't be talking about politics and religion and all of that? But what I would say is to understand the gospel is to understand the various ways that God wants to be active in the world to create a people uh, who look like Jesus, who are marked by salt and light and offering a better way of living in the world. And so we've been on a series focusing on a few uh, themes so far. And I need to say at the beginning, whether you are tuning in for the first time, whether you are in the room for the first time here, I've been saying this the past couple of weeks that in just a few days, uh, many people are going to be voting. Some people, many people already voted already. But I need to say it every single week that no matter who you vote for, whether you're voting for Donald Trump or voting for Joe Biden or voting for someone else, you have a place at New Life Fellowship Church. And it's important that I say that every uh, single week. We want to be the people of God. And so everyone is invited to gather. Everyone's invited to be part of this community. And so on the one hand, that's what I say. I also need to say this, though, as your pastor. That no matter who you vote for, the hope is that you would be formed by Jesus. And that you would not see uh, politics, uh, see Jesus through your politics, but rather you would see politics through Jesus. Amen. And that's a very different way of being in the world, seeing uh, politics through Jesus and seeing Jesus through our politics. And so the hope is that we would see our politics through Jesus, that Jesus is the one that we look to to inform the way we live in the world, which means we have to live humble lives, knowing that at any given moment we just might be wrong. And so we want to live our lives through Jesus. And so my hope is that as we are in this series for the next couple of weeks, that we would live with discernment, that we would live with compassion, that we would live with humility, that we would uh, bear witness to Jesus in this world. And it's with that that I want to go into our next message today and focus on the role that fear plays in our lives. The world of the, the, the role that fear plays in our lives, especially political fear, social fear, and the ways that we have been so co-opted and impacted and formed and paralyzed by fear in the world. And so I'm going to talk about the, the love that casts out fear and what it means for us in the particular cultural and political moment we find ourselves in. So we're going to be in 1 John uh, chapter 4. We'll have it on the screen as well. It's towards the end of the Bible if you want to follow along. But 1 John chapter 4, this, actually, this book generally is a book that you would do well to read this week. Just re- I mean, it'll, it'll, you'll get done with it in 30 minutes. Uh, but it is an incredible book, and I've been meditating on this, this verse and this chapter, this book here, over the past week. But uh, 1 John 4, beginning at verse 16, hear the word of the Lord. God is love. 
Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Lord, fill us with your love that we would push out fear in all of the ways that it manifests in our own lives and in this world. Open our eyes to your word today. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive every gift you have for us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Fear makes us do crazy things. A couple of years ago, I was surfing the internet and I was reading an article. And after I finished the article, on the bottom of the webpage, there were a number of different articles. And sometimes at the bottom of these web pages, actually advertisements or whatever kind of crazy news that's out there that's not necessarily real, and it's clickbait. And so at the bottom of the page, I read something that says, uh, new deadly creature discovered. And so I say, huh, what's that about? And so I click on it, and it shows this slimy, eel-looking thing that says, if this thing gets close to you, This thing could kill you. And so I read the article. I go, this sounds terrible. I go about my day, but my mind was thinking about that slimy-looking creature. Later that same day, I go to my in-law's home in, in, in Long Island, and at the end of the day, they asked if I could take out their dog to go to the backyard. And so I take out the dog to go to the backyard. It's getting dark, and as I'm minding my business while the dog is doing uh, his business, uh, I look down and I see what looks like a slimy, eel-looking creature. Now, in these moments, your brain doesn't go, start going, huh, I wonder what that is. Let's think about here. When fear takes over, your rationality is gone. When fear takes over, you just start responding. And so I see it, and I, I look for anything I could grab to kill this eel-looking creature. So I grabbed the biggest brick I could find. I had flip-flops on at the time. And I'm about, what I'm going to do is just smash it, you know, save the family and just smash it. And so I pick it up, and in the process of picking up, the brick falls out of my hands, almost lands on my toe. I got flip-flops on here. And in the process, it falls down. And then I think to myself, Rich, come on, this this can't be what you read this morning. And I get closer and see it's a snail. It's just a snail. And the snail is like, brother, come on, what you trying to do to me? (laughs) And... It was in that moment that I realized that fear has a way of accessing a part of our brain that makes it very difficult to think clearly. You are just reacting in the moment. Fear makes you do irrational things. And as I think about the cultural moment that we're in, I think about this story from time to time. Because every day we are told, whether it's true or not, that we should be afraid of something. Every day we live, every day we are told, whether it's true or not, what 
to fear because fear is the currency of social and political hostility. And in a world that's marked by dark powers, in a world that's marked by powers and principalities, in a world that's marked by evil forces, fear is the currency of political and social hostility. While there is much to be afraid of for sure, there is a way of relating to fear that simply results in greater social pain and division. And so what I want us to contemplate today is this very simple line, and it is this, that we are not called to deny our fears, but to resist being formed by them. We're not called to deny our fears, but we are called to resist being formed by them. Our fears has a way, have a way of forming us To live in this world in ways that do not contribute to the wholeness of the world. And so my question for you as this message gets started is this. How much is fear forming your life? To what degree is fear forming the way you are living and showing up in the world? How much is anxiety running and coursing through your body these days? And for many of us, that answer is a lot. We are formed by fear. And the invitation to follow Jesus is not to deny our fears, but to resist being formed by them. How much is fear forming you today? When we think about political engagement, when we think about the world that we're in, in terms of faith, politics, and God, when we think about the ways that people vote in the world, it's often very easy to see people uh, in terms of who they support and the issues that matter to them, and we reduce people to that without seeing that there is a lot of forces beneath what informs their engagement in the world. This past week, we had a a faith and politics seminar, last Sunday actually, and I showed an image of an iceberg. You know, the iceberg is our logo at the church, and so we use the iceberg all the time. And what we see on the surface often is someone's vote. But what we don't see often are the forces that are beneath what informs our engagement in the world. And so I don't have time to go through all of these here, but when I see someone's vote or think about the way that I engage in the world, it's often we go, oh, you're voting for that person, you're an idiot. Or you're voting for that person, you're a good person. But what we don't see are the forces beneath. And what's often beneath the surface for, in terms of our political engagement are things like this, our reading of the end times. There's certain people who they say, this world is coming to an end, and as a result, I need to vote a particular way. And that's a whole other thing. I think I need to do a whole series on the book of Revelation because the ways that the end times theology is being used right now, it's really bad. And watch, this is a pastoral word. Anytime you're watching TV, I don't care who has charts on the screen. I don't care if they have dragons. There are, there are a lot of people that you're looking at right now who are telling you what to believe about the end times. And just because they have charts in back of them does not mean that they are right. So be mindful of who you read because you'll find yourself with some bad theology. But what happens is this. We think, oh, no, this, are, this is what... You know, the world is coming to an end, therefore I need to vote this way. That's eschatology. Or it's this idea that of Christendom, this idea that uh, the goal of being a Christian is to make this a Christian nation. And that's not why Jesus called us. Jesus called us to bear witness to the kingdom of God, 
to show that there's a different way of being in the world. And so Christians are not called to coerce people into making this a Christian nation. We are here to announce that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ. And we want to bear witness to that in our lives. But when you think that, the, that, that we're called to become a Christian nation, that will inform the way you engage in the world. We often think about the way our vote is, is, is created by socially distorted caricatures. This is what I mean. The media and, and all kinds of stuff going on in the world has a way of distorting people in such a way that we go, oh, that's who they are, I'm going to do this. Or is that who they are, I'm going to do this. And so there's so many socially distorted caricatures of people that's informing the way we live. Now, I'm not going to belabor all this, but, but deep beneath the iceberg, what's informing our engagement in the world is often deep embedded fear. Fear. Why do people think the way they do? Why do people vote the way they do? Why do people engage politics the way that they do, social issues the way that they do? It's often because of deep embedded fear. And the fear has a way of forming us. But I want to tell you, if the way you are relating to the world is primarily based on fear, it's not the Jesus way. The Jesus way is not a way that's primarily dominated by fear. The Jesus way, amen, is marked and formed by love. What is to shape our social imagination is not fear. What is to shape our social imagination in the world is love. A Jesus-centered love. And this is what John is getting at in 1 John chapter 4. In the passage that we read, John the Apostle is trying to get the people of God to live in the way of love. And John writes this as a father, as a tender father. Over and over again, he looks at the church that he's writing to and he calls them, my dear children. Over and over, my dear children. He has a nurturing love for them. He wants them to be formed in the way of love. And throughout this uh, beautiful letter, he writes about forgiveness and love. He talks about our relationship to the world. He talks about sin and mercy. He talks about the centrality of Jesus Christ. He talks about the importance of the incarnation. But over and over again, John comes back to one singular word, and that word is love. It's one thing to be formed by fear. John says you're not to be formed by fear in the world. You are to be formed by love in the world. And so in verse 7 of this chapter, he says, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Verse 8, whoever does, not love, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Hear that. Whoever does not know love does not know God. And if our lives are marked by hatred, if our lives are marked by condescension and condemnation, we don't know God because God is love. I don't care how many Bible passages we've memorized. I don't care if we have perfect attendance at church. I don't care if we're volunteering everywhere. If our lives are not marked by love, we don't know God because God is love. And the challenging reality of our day is that in this political season that we're in, Christians are often known not by love, but by what we are against. Christians are not marked by love, but by hostility. 
Christians are contributing to the condemnation in the world, but the person who does not know love does not know God. And these are harsh words and hard words for us, but this is what John says. In verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Over and over again, John is trying to instill in his spiritual children the importance of love. And then he gets to this place. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Hear that. Fear and love cannot stay in the same place. Fear and love cannot be roommates. Fear and love cannot inhabit the same environment. Why? Because either one is going to push out the other. You can't live together. And so the gospel truth of this passage is this here. The gospel truth is that perfect love casts out fear. Go to that slide for me. Perfect love casts out fear. But here's the current reality. Paralyzing fear casts out love. The gospel truth is that perfect love casts out fear. But the cultural reality that we're living in right now is that paralyzing fear casts out love. And here's my question for you watching online and in this room. Which one are you living? Are you living gospel truth of perfect love casting out fear? Or are you living this cultural reality of paralyzing fear casting out love? Which one are you living? We often think of hate being the opposite of love. But what John lets us know here is that it's not simply hate, it's fear. Fear is the antithesis of love. And love has come to cast out fear. Why? You cannot love if you are afraid. And our lives are too marked by fear to love well. But the goal of the Christian life, and this is what John says, is that our lives would be made perfect in love. Hear that truth. Your goal as a follower of Jesus, your goal as a follower of Jesus is that your life would be made perfect in love. What is the goal of the Christian life? To be made perfect in love. That's not to be right. Not to be right and let everyone know how, how wrong they are. The goal of the Christian life is to be made perfect in love, but we are in a world that stands against us. There is a politics of fear that's dominating our lives, dominating our culture, dominating our world. And we've been formed to see people who are different than us as people simply to fear. And the dangerous truth about our lives is that we don't even give critical assessment to this. We are at a point where just seeing a symbol of something renders us fearful of a person because of what the symbol for us represents. Whether it's true or not about that person, to see a symbol attached to a particular person renders so many people afraid. And so for some people to see a person in this hat renders them afraid. Whereas for others, to see them in this shirt renders them afraid. To see someone waving this flag renders people afraid. Or to see someone waving this flag renders people afraid. 
And so our lives are marked by so much fear. And what fear does in our lives is it has a way of, if, 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 of marking us by a survivalist instinct. That if I'm afraid of you, you cannot exist and you should not exist. And you need to be eliminated. And this is the world we live in. Our world is governed by fear. There's a man named Eric Severide. He was a, a reporter for the Associated Press. I come back to this quote all the time. But he says that the biggest business in the United States is not steel, automobiles, or television. It is the manufacture, refinement, and distribution of anxiety. This is why we have to be mindful of how much news we watch. Because it is the goal of the news to keep you watching. And how do you watch? And how do they get you to watch? By stirring up fear. Because fear does something in the brain. And it kicks in the survivalist instinct. Which is why there's, there's certain... Uh, listen, I have my problems with all the networks. Because so much of it is run by, by uh, money. And getting eyeballs on the screen for the sake of advertising. And next thing you know, we are co-opted by this larger scheme that to make the world go round. There, there's some news channels, you know, it's always breaking news. Every minute of the day is breaking news. Look at the anxiety that produces. Breaking news. Well, you just broke that three hours ago. Why is it still breaking? Breaking news. That happened yesterday. Why is it still breaking? And next thing you know, your eyes cannot look away. And you're marked by fear. Fear makes the world go round. Now, don't get me wrong. There's lots to fear in this world. Chapman University, uh, there's a university in, in California every year puts out the top fears of Americans. And this was the latest I could find in 2018. And th these are the legitimate fears that people carry. Whether it's fear of corrupt government officials or the fear of the pollution of oceans, or the people I love becoming seriously ill, or animal extinction, or global warming, or high medical bills. There are things to legitimately fear in this world. The challenge that we, are, we must be mindful of is the ways that the power of fear is used as a political strategy. That the power of fear is used as a means of continuing social division in the world. This is the reality that we're faced with. Because the world runs on fear. I was watching a Monsters, Inc. some time ago with my children. We watch all the shows and, and Monsters, Inc. Is, is one of my favorite Disney shows. And in Monsters, Inc., the, the very premise of it, for those who are uninitiated, uh, the, very, uh, pres the, the, the goal of Monsters, Inc. is essentially this. The monsters would scare children at night because the children's screams was the energy source that kept the city going. And so they had to scare children every night because that's what powered the city. That's what gave energy. That was the currency to keep the city going, the screams of the children. And when I watched it again, I realized that this is not just a nice family film. This is actually what's happening in our world. What makes the world go round is fear. What sells is fear. 
What keeps people uh, uh, glued to the television often is fear. The media profits off of fear. Politicians use fear as a strategy, and it happens across the board. And so again, are you being formed by fear or formed by love? This happens, I, I want us, let us, let our discernment kick in here. Because we're often co-opted by fear, both on the right and on the left. In 2016, at the uh, Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention, fear was on the ballot. In one of the conventions towards the end, this is one of the lines that came out. The terrorism in our cities threatened our very way of life. I alone can fix this. <laughs> At the other convention, the clo- one of the closing lines sounded like this here. I'm the last thing standing between you and the apocalypse. <laughs> Do you hear the fear? And so when, when, our, when we're formed by fear, we're often co-opted now, seduced, made captive to various sides. How much is fear forming the way you're living in the world? Fear is a powerful motivator, and it's a destructive force. Because what happens when fear forms us? Well, our relationships with others are marked by self-protection. Our relationships with others are marked by suspicion. We, we live in the world through the lens of survival. And so anyone who is a threat to my well-being now needs to be eliminated through violence. And so fear is not to form our social imagination. Love is to form our social imagination because fear cannot heal the world. But love is the most powerful force in the world. And this is what John is getting at. What casts out fear? It's love, the perfect love of God. When I talk about love, I'm not talking about sentimentality. I'm not talking about being nice. Love is the most powerful force in the world. Because love is concerned with the well-being and the flourishing of one another. And love has many different expressions. Justice is an act of love. Politics can be an act of love. Holding people accountable can be an act of love. Speaking the truth can be an act of love. Forgiveness is an act of love. And so again... What's forming you, fear or love? We see this powerful source of love most profoundly demonstrated in Jesus Christ because in Jesus Christ, love casts out fear. In Jesus Christ, we don't have to live in fear of judgment because Jesus was judged in our place. In Jesus, we don't have to be afraid of God. Because Jesus demonstrates that God has been for us all along. In Jesus, we don't have to live suspicious of God's love because God's love is not contingent upon what we do. God's love is contingent upon God. God's love is perfect. And that love is to be forming us so that we could offer that love to the world around us, casting out fear. 
The gospel casts out fear because it announces there's nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God. And that now reality is to shape the way we live in the world. But how do we live into this? How do we live a fear, a a love that casts out fear? And I want to offer just three uh, simple invitations for us. Not easy, but simple. What is the love that casts out fear? It's a love that seeks to understand. How is fear casted out when our lives are oriented by understanding? I often think about this this poem by St. Francis of Assisi in which he writes, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is error, truth. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. And then listen to this. To be understood as to understand. We live in a world in which I want to be understood before I understand. I want you to hear me before I hear you. But what love says is, let me, let me seek to understand first before seeking to be understood. And it's amazing when you seek to understand the ways that violence and fear and hatred has a way of subsiding. When you seek to understand. In the past couple of weeks, I've had uh, three to four conversations with congregants who see things much differently than I do. Who see politics differently than I do. Social issues different. Theology. And in part of the conversation, there was a, a sense of trying to understand where I was coming from and a sense where I was trying to understand where they were coming from. And in the process Great questions were asked both ways. Tell me why you believe this. Tell me what happened in your life that makes you see the world in this way. And the answers were asked to me and asked in return. And by the end of the conversation on Zoom, I was amazed at the peace that was flowing between us in multiple Zoom conversations. Because when you understand where people have been and seek to understand, all of a sudden their their life now makes more sense. The sad reality, we, we live in a world where we are reduced without any context to how you vote. If you vote this way or that way, your entire life, your entire existence is reduced to that. But as Christians, we are to lead the way in loving in a way that seeks to understand. How does love cast out fear? By understanding. Love also casts out fear because because love respects differences. It doesn't mean we agree with everything. It doesn't mean there's no room for important debate and dialogue. But love is not marked by coercion. Love is not marked by forcing others to think in this way. Love respects differences. It's often the case that when we see differences, we don't just see people who are misinformed. We live in a world where to see differences means that they're evil. And that's the world we live in now. 
If you don't believe what I do, you're evil. That's the world, that's the system of the world. And Christians are to see the world much different. And the way that we begin to live these two realities is by this last one here. How does love cast out fear? Love works hard to see the humanity of others. The humanity of others. Parker Palmer is known to have said, the good Quaker author, that when you know someone's story, it's amazing how much compassion you have for that person. When you know someone's story, it's really hard to hate or harm that person. And as Christians, we are to lead the way in seeing all of humanity as people made in the image of God. And how do we do this? Well, we live in the love of God first. And we offer that to the world. This is what John says. Let me close with this here. In, in, in verse 19, we love because God loved us first. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. How do we do this? How in the world do we do this? How do we love in a way that casts out fear? Very simply, it's this. It's not something that you do. It's something God does through you. That's what's called grace. Grace is God doing for you what you can't do for yourself. And the way that grace is activated in our lives is by living our lives, receiving the love of God, opening ourselves up to the love of God. Think about how busy people are. Think about the lack of prayer that people give themselves to. It makes sense why the world is marked by fear. But when, you're when, you're when your life is marked by receiving the love of God, you can't help but to give it out. All of a sudden, it, you start doing stuff that you didn't think about doing. You start forgiving people that you used to hate. You start offering compassion to people that you used to withhold it from. Why? Because it's no longer you anymore. It's Christ in you, living through you. And so our, our task is to receive the love of God and pour it out to the world. Let me give you this analogy that I've given before that I think about every single morning. Every single morning I think about this. Every single morning I make my wife a cup of tea. Yes, I do. I, I make a cup of tea, a good cup of tea as well. She, I, while she's still sleeping, I, I get, I'm going to brag about this one. Uh, honey, is that right? I'm not lying, baby. Just you put it in the, confirm in the chat section that this is true. Every morning. Follow, and, and, and husbands, follow me as I follow Christ, all right? Uh, trust me on this one. Uh, every morning I make my wife a cup of tea. I know exactly how she likes it. And as you tea drinkers know, you know there's two ways to make tea. I'm going to get deep. Stay with me here. There's two ways to make tea. There's some of us that are dippers. That we dip in and we dip out. 
And we dip in and we dip out and we take the tea bag and we, and we do it to our liking. And then if you want to get sophisticated with it, you take the tea bag, you wrap it around the spoon, you press down and you discard the tea bag. Uh, amen. I know what I'm talking about here. And, and so uh, you're a dipper. And every morning I think about our relationship to God as people who dip in and out, in and out. But here's the thing. When you're dipping, the, the transformation of the water is contingent upon you. You dipping in and out. Oh, I mean, that's working your shoulders too now. You're dipping in, you're dipping out. Transformation is contingent upon you. And some of us are dippers in our relationship with God. We dip in the Bible, we dip out the Bible. We dip into prayer, we dip out of prayer. And transformation is contingent upon us. And when I decide how much I like it, I'll stop there. But there's another way of making tea. I feel the spirit now. There's another way. Of, and, and, and sometimes you're a dipper, but there's another way of making tea where you're a dweller. Oh, yes. And, and you take the tea bag and you just, you, you just let it sit there. And you don't do anything. You let it work itself. And you just let it sit there. And I remember having a conversation with someone. He said, you know, we were talking about making tea. And he said, I don't like to have my tea bag just sit there. I said, why not? He said, because the tea gets too strong. And I almost fell out my chair in the, the, in the diner because I said, oh, that's a word from God. Because sometimes the presence of God gets strong if you just sit there. Sometimes if you just dwell there, God begins to do stuff in you. Transformation happens not on your terms, but on God's terms. And you begin to find the composition of your life beginning to change, not because of anything you've done, but because you simply dwell in that space. How is the world going to be healed? Not by dipping, but by dwelling. By receiving the love of God, by living in the love of God, by receiving the love of God. And this is what's going to happen. If you give yourself to receiving the love of God and living in that place, the love of God will effortlessly flow through you. Some of you say, how in the world can I love Donald Trump? You can't love him in your own strength. How in the world can I love Joe Biden? You can't love him in your own strength. How in the world am I going to love my aunt who's voting much differently than me? How am I going to love my crazy uncle who's posting all these conspiracy theories? You can't love in your own strength, but you can love if God's love is flowing through you. Because it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me and through me. And so the invitation is to receive the love of God, to receive it for yourself. And what you find yourself doing is effortlessly start flowing through you. That's the grace of God, God doing in you and through you what you can't do for yourself. And so when you make a cup of tea, even, for, just make a, even if you don't drink it, make a cup of tea this week. And as you make it and as you drink it, be reminded that as you dwell in God and his life and love flow in you, that's the only way that the world is going to be marked by healing. Because perfect love casts out fear. Let's pray together. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. 
We see this most profoundly in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived a life in which love casted out fear. While he's in the garden, about to go to the cross, he's sweating drops of blood, he's anxious. He says, Father, if there's any way that we could do this a different way, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus Christ pushes through because love casts out fear, and he dies for us, taking on a death. And that should have been ours. He dies for us, showing the love of God for us. He dies for us, demonstrating the fullness of the love of God. In Jesus, perfect love cast out fear. And he calls us to receive that love and to live in the world differently, to live in a way that's marked by compassion and healing and love and forgiveness and mercy, to cast out fear. Lord, we confess this day that we are so often formed by fear and it is paralyzing fear that has cast out love in our lives but Lord may your perfect love cast out the fear in us and between us in a world marked by political and social hostility may the church be something different may we abide in you and learn to abide with one another. And so lead us, I pray, in the power of your spirit. And everyone said, amen. Let's all stand together. How do you live in the love of God? Well, I want to invite you this week, every day, to take five, ten minutes, sit in a chair in your home or at work, find a quiet spot, just open your hands, take deep breaths in and deep breaths out and receive the love of Jesus. And you might say, I don't feel anything, nothing's going on. But if you give yourself to that every single day, receiving the love of Jesus, opening yourself up to him, you will find that the Spirit will work deeply in your life. And so this week, open yourself up to Jesus. Receive his love. Allow the word of God to penetrate your mind and your heart. And then when you get up from that place of prayer, say, Lord, teach me to love my neighbor as I love myself. And do that every day. And little by little, fear will begin to be cast out. You will no longer see people through the lens of their political convictions. You will begin to see people as people made in the image of God. And it doesn't mean you're going to agree with everyone. It doesn't mean truth doesn't need to be told. It doesn't mean certain policies need to be resisted in the world. But it does mean that the way you see people is different. And the world can't teach you that. The world can't give you that. Only God can. As we close, for those of you watching online, there's a prayer room. 
And so if you just need someone to pray for you, maybe your life is marked by fear. On our website on newlife.nyc, we have a virtual lobby and we have prayer ministry available. So you can click on those links there. And one of our staff or pastors would just love to talk with you and pray with you. So please uh, take advantage of that. And for those of you in this room and those watching online, I want to uh, invite you to follow Jesus Christ. You know, some 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, I, I gave my life to Christ. And my life was marked by great fear and anxiety. And the peace of God began to flood my life because of Jesus. Some of you watching, you are riddled with fear and anxiety. And you're wondering, how can I get free from this? The love of God can set you free from the greatest fears and anxiety that are debilitating your life. And so on the screen here, there's a very simple number that I'd like you to um, uh, consider. There's a, uh, you can text yes to Jesus. If you want someone to walk you through just what does it mean to have a relationship with God, one of our pastors will be in touch with you if you text to that number. And we want to help you along that journey. Jesus Christ wants to rescue you rescue you from fear and have you live in the deepest center of the love of God. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven. Uh, Pastor Jackie's going to come up in a moment. And so for those of you watching online, she has an important announcement for us. And so don't log off until she comes up here. It's not going to be a long announcement, but just something important for just the future weeks when we gather together. And for us in this room, you can just sit down after I bless you. She'll give the announcement, and then she'll give you instructions in terms of exiting this building. But what a joy it is to see your faces in this room. Uh, Amen. And I look forward to seeing some uh, additional faces next week. With your hands in your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit and walk out of this online experience in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the truth that Jesus Christ is alive and that his love casts out fear. And may you live from the deep center of God's peace and love and joy. And may you offer the world something that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the loving name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.